Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the... Is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we welcome singer-songwriter and Kinks frontman Ray Davis. Plus, we'll review the new albums from Tokyo Police Club and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. That is Leona Lewis and a song called Bleeding Love. It was a number one single a week or so ago, and it made history. Only the third ever chart-topping U.S. single by a British woman. It follows uh, Petula Clark's Downtown in 1965 and Sheena Easton's Morning Train, 9 to 5 in 1981. Who is this young woman? She's 23 years old, been groomed her entire life, basically from the womb, to become a pop star. <laughs> Sylvia Young Theater School in the U.K., the Italia Conti Academy, the Brit School. And then she goes on this TV show called X Factor. X Factor, which was uh, launched as Pop Idol, is the British TV contest that inspired American Idol. Both of these programs have as a central character the irascible Simon Cowell. And uh, Simon Cowell and... Clive Davis of J Records uh, put their names on as executive producers on her debut album, and this was supposed to be one of the pop phenoms of the year, following only to the obvious American Idol idol, Mariah Carey. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Mariah's got her new album out this week, Jim, uh, coincidence that it is. It's called E Equals MC Squared, her 11th <laughs> studio album. I love that title. And as you said, there would be no Leona Lewis without Mariah Carey. I think we, we look back on Mariah Carey's debut album back in 1990. It started a cycle that has taken us through American Idol and now Leona Lewis and a particular style of over-singing that has become the standard by which we judge singers and the standard by which uh, top 40 hits are made. This is why Simon Cowell and Clive Davis right now are, are probably the two most important men in the mainstream music industry. They are the talent scouts who are basically taking this type of music and putting a lot of money behind it and, and shooting it up the charts. What's interesting to me is that the Leona Lewis record sold only 205,000 copies in its first week. I mean, the way this record was being hyped between the amount of money that was sunk into the marketing campaign, the, the appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show in which Oprah proclaimed 
a star is born. Yeah, she said, you are the follower now to Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. And they have 205,000 sales to show for it. That's that, a very anemic number one showing. Absolutely. I mean, we were talking about a record that was being hyped as a million seller. And two years in the making, because she won that X Factor contest two years ago. They were waiting for the precise moment to launch her career. So we've seen this American Idol phenomenon blow up. Now we've seen Leona Lewis as, as the greatest example of a great singer, quote unquote, coming out of this hit factory, and, and the record's a dud. Now, Carrie, who had her problems a few years ago when her glitter movie tanked, she had a yep. nervous breakdown, she made a huge comeback a few years ago with The Emancipation of Mimi. I can't She's understand. Back. That, that, that record was <laughs> awful, and it sold five million copies. And, and what we have, again, is, is, is Mariah Carey, the queen of oversinging. She's now in her late 30s. You know, the high notes aren't always there anymore for her. Has made another record that sounds quite a bit like her previous records, except the shrill high notes aren't there in as much abundance and it'll be interesting to see what the what the carry record does now. Because what I see here, Jim, is this trend is starting to peter out. The fact that yes. only 200,000 people bought this Lewis record, to me, is an encouraging sign that people are getting tired of this type of singing and this type of promotion. Greg, in the interest of saving listeners the trouble of actually having to play any of it themselves, let's play a little bit of Mariah Carey's first single, which, uh, by the way, is her 18th number one. She has now displaced Elvis Presley and is second only to the Beatles, who have 20 number one hits. What kind of world do we live in where Mariah Carey <laughs> is nipping at the heels of the Beatles? I don't know. But here is some of her new album on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. Day and All of the Night from the Kinks, the song that put the Kinks and the songwriter Ray Davis on the map in the mid-60s. Ever since, uh, Ray Davis has written some of the great songs in rock and roll. Ray Davis, that's the way he prefers to have his name pronounced, Ray Davis, one of the great songwriters of all time. He stopped by our studio to perform songs from his latest solo record, Working Man's Cafe. We are here with, uh, no exaggeration and no hyperbole, a rock and roll legend, Ray Davis of the Kinks, touring behind only his second ever solo album, uh, Working Man's Cafe. Ray, welcome to the show. Oh, it's good to be here. Let's start with that. All these years, all this music, career that spans five mm. decades, only two solo albums. Yeah. I know. It's, it's when I got to do it, I, I realized I didn't have an identity. So I've been looking for that for the last <laughs> couple. It, it is a different totally different dynamic come into a solo record because I know I wrote the songs for the Kinks but it's like they were a muse and I, I knew and I knew them as, as players and it was easy to do when you're a solo artist it's, it's unknown territory very strange do you find yourself writing differently Ray when your name's on the record as opposed to the Kinks there's more I get the blame for it all with with the Kinks. You know, if you do a bad show or you make a bad record, say, "Yeah, the drummer was really bad tonight." <laughs> when it's when it's a solo record, there's no excuses. Yeah, it's. Uh, but I still I'm gradually finding people I can lay blame at. People, you know, Clive Davis, who's one of my old label guys I worked with, Arista. 
he said always maintained that um group records sell much more than solo records and they, they're a t- total different discipline you know because i think people think that the words and the music really is my personal opinion and a lot of it is but with a band I wrote through characters, you know, I did all these different songs all day and all of the night. Is a different, almost different persona to Waterloo Sunset and Sunny Afternoon. But um, I think it's even more, the perception is that it's all my first person opinion. I, I find that I'm a, a more of an actor going into a role when I do a song yeah, with the Kinks. I am a dull and simple lad. Can I tell water from champagne? actually make it more focused to the way I feel. It's interesting that, that you say that, Ray, because your songwriting has always been full of these very memorable characters, David Watts or whoever, right? And it seems to me that you found your way into your solo career by being a writer, like us, a mere writer, like yeah. Greg and I, yeah. doing the storyteller shows where you would tell the stories behind some of the songs and writing your autobiography, X-Ray. And then, lo and behold, a couple of years after that, we got your first solo album. Yeah, well, the storyteller things came as a, started as a book reading. I did X-ray first, this the unauthorized autobiography. <laughs> yeah, and then I then I was doing book readings, you know, at bookshops just to sell the book. And I decided to throw some songs in, and that evolved into storyteller, which sort of blew up into some sort of big TV show. And I went on tour. I toured with it for about three or four years, and it became a big part of my life. You see, I'm a product of a century which started at the height of class-conscious imperialism and ended with a society so reduced to totalitarian commonness that in my final years at college, the saying, mediocrity rises, became very popular. And being mediocre, I rose. (laughs) There was a big block of time there, Ray, where you were you know, not putting out records um, about 10 years or so. And, I mean, were you still writing songs in that in that period of time? Is it something that you have to do to feel better about yourself or to get things out to write songs? Or was it just a case of you just stopped writing them at, at one point? No, I never stopped writing. I think the 10 years you mean is that the period between a Kinks album and this first solo album, right. which was about 10 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, I keep writing. It's just that... Storyteller took up so much of my life. You know, it was like running in a play, like The Mousetrap or one of those long-running musicals. You know, you find yourself. They say you do a tour. I, when I did Chicago first with it, I did four weeks somewhere. I enjoyed that, and I did that in Boston, New York for four weeks. So it, it tends to take up a longer because it's more like a theatrical show. So that that contributed towards it. When you write, when you say you write, do you sit down with an instrument, a guitar, or are you just writing in a notebook? Or how how do the songs start for you usually? I I don't do so much note keeping as I used to. I, I build when I first started writing songs. I had nobody taught me how to do it, so I just uh, ideas came along, and I had a notebook, but very rarely wrote things down. Of course, then I didn't have a tape recorder. So I notated more when I started. I remember you really got me. I, I notated that, wrote, wrote the, the uh, music notes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that's an interesting concept because it's universally considered one of the simplest and yeah. greatest rock songs of all time, the idea of the notation of that. <laughs> well, I, well, I'm not a very good notator. <laughs> Girl, you really got me going. You got me so I don't know what I'm doing. Then I went through a period, of course, home technology, because of the advent of digital technology. A lot of these songs were done on an <clears throat> on a electronic you know, machine. But with the last album, Working Man's Cafe, and the one before it, I wrote a lot on acoustic guitar, because that's still my instrument. I, with the Kinks, I wrote 
acoustically, but always finish things on a keyboard, mm. which is uh, maybe strange for you to hear. Even those grunge-heavy mm. guitar songs. Well, you really got me, which is, and all day and all of the night, were written on a piano. And I started on a guitar. You know, I wrote You Really Got Me about uh, three years, the riff and the chord structure, to You Really Got Me and Tired of Waiting For You, another single, about three years before the Kinks really recorded them. And they were written on guitar, like country country blues tunes. Mm-hmm. And then when I came to present it to the band, present the songs to the band, I just banged it out on the piano. Well, we've got the guitars all tuned up, and uh, Ray Davis is here, one of the great songwriters of all time, so... How about a song, Ray? Uh, We'll do our best, won't we? All right. Okay. Two, three, four. Looking for the working man's cafe In the shopping center of the town Looking for somewhere to fit in In among the retail outlets Bought a pair of new designer pants Where the fruit and veg man used to stand Always used to see him there Selling old apples and pears Shutting up the pretty girls With knocked off goods in the van Don't you know There was a working man Long ago We were a working man And we sat In the working man's cafe The working man's cafe Everything around me seems unreal Everywhere I go it looks and feels Like America We've really come a long way down this road Improving our surroundings as we go Changing our roots and culture But don't you know Long ago That was a working man Don't you know We were a working man We met at the working man's cafe The working man's cafe Thought I knew you then, but will I know you now? There's gotta be a place for us to meet I'll call you when I've found it I only hope that life has made us a little more grounded Amen, see you now At the working man's cafe It's really good to see us come so far But haven't we forgotten who we are Taking out a larger loan Equity relief and mortgages Now we spend the time of day Online at the internet cafe And if you forget my face In case you've forgotten just who I am I'm the kid with the greasy spoon Firmly held in my hand Don't you know I was a working man Long ago We were a working man And we sat And spent the time of day At the working man's cafe That is the song Working Man's Cafe by Ray Davis. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we will continue our conversation with the Kinks legend and great songwriter. And then Greg and I will review albums from Tokyo Police Club and Nick Cave. We are the Village Green Preservation Society. God save the duck for the bill and variety. We are the Desperate Dan. Appreciation Society. God 
God saves strawberry jam and all the different varieties. Serving the old ways from being abused. Protecting the new ways for me and for you. What more can we do? We are the draft beer preservation society. God save Mrs. Moss and good old Mother Riley. We are the custom fire appreciation consortium. God save the George Cross and all those who are loving them. Speaking vernacular, help save the Manchu, the Moriarty and Dracula. We are the office block, persecution affinity. God save the little shots, China cups and virginity. We are the skyscraper, condemnation affiliates. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We're going to continue our discussion with Kinks legend Ray Davis. In 2004, Ray was uh, shot in the leg in New Orleans after trying to catch a purse thief, and I asked him how that experience played into the songwriting on his new record. You know, I was struck by the role that, you know, these songs play in your own life, um... I read some interviews with you where you're talking about even in your in your hospital bed after you after you got shot in New Orleans, you were asking for notebooks and saying, "I you know I need to write some songs, I need to write some music." Here. Well, that was fear. I was I was wired up that they had a uh, yeah I did get shot and that was quite painful. But I had a problem with my heart rate, which was really slow. I remember saying to the guy in the hospital, "Don't worry, I used to be a runner, so that's why it's low." And athletes were meant to have a slower heart rate, but they were concerned it was quite low. And uh, they, they were giving me all these tests and, and seeing other people in the ward who were really in serious problems, uh, difficulties. And I asked for a notepad and I just wrote, and it turned out to be the morphine song. And the only thing I changed in that from when I took the notepad back and wrote the song was, was one name I didn't want to use because that person uh, didn't survive. Listen to my heartbeat. Listen to my heart Yeah, I'll fall down Someone help me off of the ground Nelson and Star He's got ten grandkids She's the third missus He grooves around intensive care It's a serious song about a serious subject and yet it has this very jaunty Exterior. If you were just listening to it very casually, you say, "Wow, that's kind of an upbeat, peppy song," and yet yeah. it's about this incredibly. I mean, it, I, I, I take it that must have been intentional to sort of uh, couch some of that fear inside this very jaunty arrangement. Well, no. It's if you think of the the tonal, it's this little phrase. It's like the clown type music. You know? Yeah, it's dancing on a sort of a, imagined a ballerina dancing through the ward, charity ward, <laughs> and and the brass band coming through. It, it you know when. You're, Hev- that heavily medicated. It's not <laughs> difficult to come to these sort of have these illusions, and uh, uh, but there's a serious element to it. But I've always, I've never tried to, even going back to the original songs, a song like "Well Respected Man," and one called "Dedicated Follower of Fashion." Both those songs were started off with serious. Uh, certainly, "Dedicated" was a serious rant about fashion and people who, you know. Each day is a new, something else is out of date, something else is in vogue. So I I try to spice up semi-serious elements with a bit of humor. Yeah, I heard you mentioned dedicated follower of fashion. Uh, The story I heard you tell, I think, at the Apollo, wasn't that uh, like a serious fight? You actually had a fight with somebody. 
It was a really, it was a quarrel over the the, the advantage of between or disadvantages between wearing tight drain pipes and flares, and it was as simple <laughs> as that. And this guy was quite high, high profile designer and thought I was out of date. I was still wearing the drain pipe, and he was in serious flares. And it, yes, it did it did blow up, flare up into a big fight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I went back and wrote the song. And I, again, that was first draft, no rewrites. Wow. Yeah. They seek him here, they seek him there His clothes are loud, but never square It will make or break him, so he's got to buy the best Cause he's a dedicated follower of fashion That's, you know, that's one of your more lighthearted. Uh, sociological observations, Ray, but it's almost a critical cliche. I, I know I've fallen prey to it. I think Mr. Cott has. Uh, whenever we're we're looking at a songwriter who's trying to say something about the manners of the society around him, uh, especially in England, but but everybody gets this. You know, we always say it's kinks like sociological observation. Um, did you ever want to be anything besides a songwriter? Uh, you know, did you ever want to be a sociologist? Because you're so good at it. Yeah. Uh, first first target I get is to be a person. And have a life, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm interested in sociology, and I'm interested. You know, I think it's to, to grasp everything. I live in a world. I can't shut the world out, I, and I live in a world where things, events happen, and of course, like everybody else, I'm affected by it ultimately. You know, the new album, the title song, Ray, is what a lot of people are describing as a classic Ray Davis song. The tonality of that song, the poignancy of that song, you know, to my mind, you could draw a straight line from like Waterloo Sunset to Working Man's Cafe. Do you feel like there is a, that is the Ray Davis voice, for lack of a better term, or do you feel like that's that's the voice that kind of defines you as a songwriter the most, maybe? Um, it, again, it's another character that I'm, I employ to, to, to do it. He's quite a wistful person who's longing for something. Uh, you know, I was out last night looking for a little family Italian restaurant that I, I go whenever I come to Chicago, and I discovered that it had been knocked down. It's now a, bl- a block of corporate buildings. <laughs> so I had to go to a chain. It, it's about the decline of the mom-and-pop mentality, the retail, you know, the small shops, you know, it's Village Green Preservation Society set in Chicago. <laughs> but, but I find, the, yeah, I wouldn't say it's a classic Ray Davis song. It's another version of a Ray Davis that um, is this person aware, fully aware that the world is changing, but longing, I, you know, I wish, say, my daughter or my kids could have experienced that, that little Italian restaurant that disappeared. Mm. I think that's the beautiful feeling, though, that something is passing that you will never be able to recapture. And mm. that was there from a very early age, it seemed like. Even when you were a very young man, you seemed to understand, you know, that something was lost. Yeah, but I, the secret is not to dwell on it, but acknowledge that it was there and it exists. And um, so it, it's a way of sort of engaging... You know, again, I don't want to be a historian, but it's just this character wandering through 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 a neighborhood that doesn't really exist anymore. Well, you've also said, and this is inevitable in every interview, we have to ask you, you've also said that you've had some thoughts about reuniting the Kinks, in particular to do uh, some classic albums, maybe like an Arthur, uh, reuniting that band or the band of Come Dancing, reuniting a particular era of the group. Yeah, I, I do that, um, and it's a very popular thing for people to do. I think Lou Reed did Berlin in in in, in England recently. Mm-hmm. But I, I also like to make new music. I think I, I don't want to just do it for nostalgia reasons. Or, but it would be nice to get the, the shows Arthur presented. This summer I'm doing a big show in London using a choir and um, I'm doing elements from Arthur and Village Green that have never been performed before. But it would be nice to reunite the bands, but I, I really would like to do it uh, with the intention of, yes, do the songs that they, they worked on together, but at the same time see what we would come up with now. And I'd like to sit down with the original guys and say, what would what would we have written, what would we have done if we hadn't had You Really Got Me, which was our first English number one. Hmm. So see what they would come up with. Well, it's interesting. Your relationship with that band is one of the great stories in rock and uh 
you know, when I interviewed you about 15 years ago, uh, you know, I asked you about that, the, the whole idea that, that there was sort of this love-hate thing going on. And you said if we'd all been friends, if everyone was patting each other on the back, we wouldn't have lasted five minutes. Mm. Hate is the <laughs> only thing that lasts. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that maybe I was plugging one of the songs on the album. <laughs> but, but certainly intensity, you know. It's it's the old thing. It's the third man, isn't it? It's uh, Orson Welles' great speech. You know, you need conflict to produce great art sometimes. But it is a... I, fa- I found that the intensity between the kinks sometimes are very uh, uh, creative. If Dave, my brother Dave on guitar, was sort of ranting, going mad, i say, OK, do it. I, you always have to press the record button when mm. he goes in the studio. He... We get it first time, and uh, maybe you know, I could manipulate that a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But you, you just can't legislate for people's actions, and that was a great thing about the Kinks is they're unpredictable, uh, and and certainly that it, the work is di- more diverse than most other of our contemporaries. You know, we didn't stick. Um, to the same thing we changed I remember RCA Records we did all those we did soap opera preservation and all those mad albums (laughs) and the head of the company said yeah this is great but can we have two albums consecutively that sound sound the same (laughs) when when you were talking there Ray conflict and tension and unpredictability uh, speaking as a man who hasn't talked to his own brother in three years since uh, we got in a fist fight at my folks anniversary party uh, I gotta say that, that there's a certain kind of conflict and tension that can only come from a sibling that's the other yeah. great trope. In addition to being Rock's great sociologist, we have consistently found, uh, you know, when we're writing about Oasis and every other brother band since, we have to refer to that that thing. But, but like, what is it? Like, can you and Dave get together and just go to the pub and have a pint and not talk about business or kinks? I mean, like, do you still work as brothers or is it only as collaborators? Uh, interestingly, I didn't spend much time with Dave when we were early, early in our lives. I lived with my older sister. For, for many years, and I think there's something missing in our, our dynamics. So we knew we got to know one another when we joined the band. Uh, so we don't have that normal brother uh, relationship. But it is hard not to, you know, when Dave got sick, he, he had a stroke about just after I got shot, and he came to, to stay with me with his girlfriend, and I really enjoyed having him. In this, under the same roof, it was good to be with him, because you know we'd watch movies together and, and not play music, but we we have lots of humour in common, and he is fun to be around. Um, it's actually music where it gets heated. But <laughs> <Yeah, right. laughs> what else is there worth fighting about? It's our whole radio show is based yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I did like having him around, and. But he left and wanted to find his own place to live, which is fine. But he's always welcome under my roof. Where where are you at with uh, Dave? I mean, is Dave healthy enough where he could start playing music again? And uh, I know you've talked a little bit about uh, doing the Kinks uh, again. I mean, where do you see that happening? Uh, when I get back off this tour, I'll, I'll take a few days off. Then I'll see him, and uh, he's ready to start recording. I think he just doesn't want to spend a long time in the studio. Uh, but with modern technology, that can be sorted out. So I'm hopeful that we can get together. But I couldn't possibly think of doing anything with that name, the brand name, Kinks, without having him involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, uh, can you pinpoint... I mean, this, I think this is one of the great questions in, in, in terms of your songwriting, and maybe you just you don't see it as, as big of a transition as some people might, but that transition from You Really Got Me and All Day and All of the Night into that well-respected man, David Watts, dedicated follower of fashion, songwriting. Uh, I mean, it was like a quantum leap in terms of what you wanted to do with a song. It seemed like no, nothing wrong with You Really Got Me, an amazing piece of music. But there was, I don't know, do you, do you see that as a pretty broad transition there, Ray, or did, was it just a continuum for you? You know, I didn't expect to be a songwriter. Uh, I wrote, as I say, I, I wrote You Really Got Me and Tired of Waiting just for my own you know, pleasure. And uh, after you really got me, people thought, oh, he knows how to do it. And I didn't. It was one of the first songs I'd written. So it was all about learning. It was an experiment. It was a wonderful time, I I have to say. It was great with all the other bands around, like the Beatles and 
and later on the Who, listening to what they were doing and say we were all like explorers, you know. And technology was very basic, so we used it to the extreme. We used distortion and feedback, and so did the Who, and it was a wonderful time of experimentation. We're talking to Ray Davis here on Sound Opinions. What a treat. I mean, Greg, there are days when you and I should just give back our salary. Not that we get paid, <laughs> but it's because now Ray's going to play us a song, right, Ray? Yeah, for, for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all doing this for yeah. free. And it sounds like it's for free. It should be. This very relaxed version of a song from Working Man's Cafe. Yeah, the top of your suntan Otherwise your skin's gonna turn to leather We made a movie in Vietnam Tax break said We're gonna shoot on location The rug says made in Korea Manufactured in a factory Using cheap labor All over Asia Third world becoming a major league player Mass production in Saigon While all the workers laid off in Cleveland Hot jacuzzi in Taiwan With empty factories in Birmingham Now it's baby boomers in Hong Kong And cowboys in Vietnam Making their movies Big confusion in Hollywood now it's American Major League in Japan Hamburger in China With sushi bars in Maine and Boston The dollar sign said expand Now it's cowboys in Vietnam Making a movie Let's make a movie in Vietnam Baby Suntown Looks like we're in for heavy weather Economic meltdown Nobody said it would last forever Make a movie in Baghdad Take the culture right to the third world Blow up a brand new civilization In the name of globalization Big confusion in Hollywood Now it's America Major League in Japan Hamburger in China With sushi bars in Maine and Boston The baller sign says expand Now it's cowboys in Vietnam Making a movie Ride off with your dad into the sunset. Vietnam Cowboys from Ray Davis on Sound Opinions. Beautiful. Cause he gets up in the morning and he goes to work at nine and he comes back home at five thirty, gets the same train every We've been talking to Ray Davis on Sound Opinions. Thank you so much, Ray. It's my pleasure. It never fails. And he's all so good. And he's all so fine. To contact Sound Opinions, sign up for our newsletter. Or to listen to archived shows, you can go to soundopinions.org. We're going to be back after a short break on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with reviews of new albums by Tokyo Police Club and Nick Cave. While his father pulls the mane And she stirs the tea with counsellors While discussing foreign trade And she passes looks as well as bills That every suave young man And he's all so good And he's all so 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That's a track called Graves from the debut album by Tokyo Police Club, an album called Elephant Shell. Tokyo Police Club, they are uh, not from Tokyo. They have nothing to do with the cops. They're not a club. (laughs) They're just four high school friends from uh, Ontario who on Friday nights got together. Uh, All their previous bands had broken up, and then on Friday nights they were just getting together as a lark to make some music, play for some friends, actually went into the uh, into a recording studio to knock out four or five songs, released it as an EP, again, thinking only a few hundred people would hear it. That 16-minute debut EP called A Lesson in Crime ended up selling 40,000 copies, getting all sorts of notice in the blogosphere, got well-reviewed by uh, publications like Pitchfork, and led to a record deal. The band got signed to Saddle Creek Records, the home of bands like Bright Eyes and Cursive, and now they have a debut album out called Elephant Shell, uh, produced by Peter Caddis uh, of Interpol and the National Fame, as well as John Drew, a producer who's done a lot of work in that Canadian indie rock scene. Let's play a track from the new Tokyo Police Club record before we review it. It's called Your English is Good on Sound Opinions. is good by Tokyo Police Club from their first full album, Elephant Shell. Greg, uh, you were all over these guys when you first saw them at South by Southwest, and uh, you loved the two EPs that preceded this full album. I didn't dislike them. Uh, I have the same problem, though, with this album that I have had with them from the beginning. It's hard to to figure out where they fit. That's not a bad thing, (laughs) you know? I mean, there are elements of the new wave of new wave. There are are bits of uh, pop punk and garage rock and power pop. Who are these guys? What are they trying to do? It was only with this album because it's a little longer. I mean, the last EP was eight songs in 18 minutes. It was like, it was gone, right? This is a little bit longer, not much. Not much. (laughs) You get to live with it, and you start to realize what this band is about is just about the songs, pure and simple, writing great melodies and delivering them with high energy and exuberance. In that regard, I think if there's a predecessor, it might be like uh, XTC at its poppiest. They do occasionally step over a line into indie rock pretentiousness. Uh, I'm thinking of a song like Tessellate, where they're singing dead lovers salivate, (laughs) broken hearts tessellate tonight. I had to look it up. Tessellate (laughs) means to form a mosaic, all right? It's like, well, yeah, all right, maybe put away the Thesaurus kids and just concentrate on on the melodies a little more. But overall, I have to say this is a buy-it record. It's a great burst of, of enthusiastic pop. Well, it's uh, 11 songs in 28 minutes, and you don't get many of those anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's barely longer than the EP. Um, what I liked was the very tightly constructed arrangements. They, they said what they had to say, and they got out right away, and that's the case here. They're combining sort of that celebratory vibe that bands like the Arcade Fire and Broken Social Scene would bring to the indie rock world and combining with these really tight band-based songs by bands like Interpol and The Strokes. 
they don't have a lot to say. That was my big problem with the EPs. In this record, they're trying to be a little bit more elliptical. You know, you bring up the word like tessellate, yeah. you know, just throwing it in there. They're basically a bunch of guys pining for the girl they didn't get in high school. That's what these songs are still about. No big deal. They're, they're young guys. They're going to grow into it. But the sound is exuberant. I love the enthusiasm they bring to it. Each one of these songs has a cool little hook or melody line in it. And, you know, it's over in two, two and a half minutes per song. So I love that brevity. I love the fact that they realize, hey, we're not that great yet. We're just going to give you this burst of energy, and then we're going to get out. Well, a lot, and of, I like a lot, that of, a lot of great keyboard work, too. The conversations that are happening between the guitar and the keyboard is something you're not hearing a lot of in indie rock anymore. Keyboards are done to, as a wash, right? They never deliver the hook. These guys are bringing it back to, to a more like 60s or 70s power pop. And then you'll get the you know the the instruments dropping out, and it'll just be a bass line or these exuberant little hand claps yeah. in there, and those are kind of like cool little touches. So you know, I can't really say buy this thing. Really, um, it, 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 I'm saying buy it, and you're, you're not. You're the one saying buy it. I'm saying you know this. It's it's not transcending its influences yet, but I I like this band. I would say it's a burn it, and I think this wow. band is going to make uh, more good records to come. I think they're going to grow into into a great band. They're not there yet. Nest up in the autumn branches Built from nothing but high hopes and thin air we Collected up some baby blasted mothers They took their chances And for a while they lived quite happily up there I don't know what it is But there's definitely something going on upstairs Yes, that is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds With the title track of their 14th studio album Dig! Lazarus, dig! <laughs> I'm saying it that way because there's three exclamation points after both of those digs in the title. Who is Nick Cave? He has been with us since the mid-70s when he led a band out of Australia called The Birthday Party. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's never given us anything that was completely without merit. There have been Nick Cave albums that are better than others, and there are some that have been just pure masterpieces, including, I would say, last year's one-off, just kind of for yuck's side project, Grinderman. The self-titled Grinderman album was my album of the year. That was a very small combo, like four pieces. Bad Seeds are a big sprawling on ensemble. It's got violin, it's got percussion, it's got, you know, drums and bass and guitar, all that stuff, and then a whole lot more. With the Bad Seeds, when we last heard from them in 2004, it was with a sprawling double album, very moody and piano ballad heavy, Abattoir Blues, The Liar of Orpheus, one of my least favorite Bad Seeds records, and I attributed the lack of excitement to the departure of Blixa Bargeld. This is one of the great uh, German <laughs> characters in rock history. He led a band called Einsterzender Neubau, forefathers of the industrial thrash movement and he and Cave on stage were a great team they played off each other he was Cave's main foil but I have to say that with Grinderman, Warren Ellis really stepped to the fore. Ellis is a violinist primarily, known for the Dirty Three, his, his combo uh, of his own. He's been a member of the Bad Seeds for some time, but uh, with Nick Cave on Dig Lazarus Dig, it is truly a Lou Reed-John Cale relationship. They are bringing out the nastiest in one another, <laughs> spurring each other on to greater and greater Outrage. Cave's always had a couple of uh, central obsessions. It's, it's sex, Old Testament, and uh, American mythology. Those issues collide in a big way throughout this album. Let's hear a track. Always a good sign on Sound Opinions when we had uh, a five-minute fight about which song we were going to play. You won. It's <laughs> Albert Goes West by The Bad Seeds with Nick Cave on Sound Opinions. Albert, he goes west. He crosses the Different deserts in Arizona. Oh, yeah. He had a psychotic episode on the Duke Ranch that involved a bottle of ammonia. Henry, he went south and lost his way deep in the weeping forest. Light up on your rainy streets 
many reflections I won't be held responsible For my actions Bobby, he goes north And he goes east And over to New Hampshire Albert Goes West from the 14th studio album by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Dig Lazarus Dig. What an album. You know, <laughs> this, this band, it's hard to believe, but, you know, he's now in his 50s, Nick Cave. Yeah. And at a time when guys should be slowing down or maybe getting into their introspective phase, you know, he's married, he's got two kids, he got off heroin a few years ago, he's really, you know, he should be settled down. Let us remember that at age 50, Paul McCartney gave us uh, <laughs> Off the Ground, and Dylan gave us Wiggle Wiggle, and, and Cave is now 50, and he's giving well, us Dig Lazarus Dig. That, that's good perspective, because that is what should be happening to Nick Cave, and somehow he has seemed to reverse the aging process. And I think what's happening here, Jim... You said it well. I mean, sex, death, God, that's always been huge elements in his <laughs> Little music. subjects. They've always been there. And they're in this record in spades. There's no doubt about it. But I think what has happened to Nick Cave and what has re-energized him, two things. There's an element of humor that I'm hearing in his music that wasn't as pronounced in the past. He's getting funnier. He, he is. I mean, he's cracking me up. He's, he's taking this drama that he's bringing to this music, and he's having fun with it. Dig Lazarus Dig is about a poor guy who doesn't want to be resurrected. Yeah, he he ends up getting, back. like, why do you want me to go through this again yeah. and then die again? He I don't want to be resurrected. He winds up a junkie in, in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a sad tale, but at the same time, it's kind of tragically funny. And, and, and that, that thread is throughout this record. The second thing is they find this weird sense of pop hooks. A lot of these songs are three chords, but you've got these pop hooks, like, as in Albert Goes West, yeah. those sha-la-la, wordless backing mm-hmm. harmonies over this just outrageously overfed Mick Harvey guitar yeah. that is just, like, poisonous in the background, and you've got this pop thing going over the top. So between the pop element and the humor, Cave has added a few elements to his game, and he has re-energized his music, and this is a great record. This is oh, a great record. He just gets better and better. You know, once in a while I'm, I'm frustrated by the four-star system the Sun-Times uses. I've long advocated that for special occasions we need four and a half stars. It's like an A-plus <laughs> when the teacher says, you, you not only got your A, you went above and beyond. Grinderman was a four uh, and a half star, an A-plus record. This is merely an A <laughs> record, okay? But what is that saying? This, this, is, this is a brilliant, brilliant record. As you said, Melody noise, smarts. You know, he's name-checking in one verse Charles Bukowski, the poet Berryman, and, and Ernest Hemingway, and he's being funny about it, not pretentious. This is a brilliant, brilliant record. You you need this record, and even more, you need to see the big band of the, of yeah. the Bad Seeds live, because they will, I promise you, shear the top of your head off. I guess that's an emphatic double buy it for Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. You uh, know it. Next week, Jim, we're going to be talking about bands and artists who have been one-note wonders uh, throughout their careers. I'm going to be talking to some listeners as well to give us their candidates. Bands and artists who have sustained careers by basically doing one thing really, really well. Absolutely. Greg, we have some thank yous to say. Sound Opinions, as always, is produced by the ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, and intern Dave Mahler. Our conversation and the performance by Ray Davis was recorded by Mary Gaffney. And our fearless leader and executive producer is Tori Southside Malatia, who we love even though he's failed every attempt to audition for American Idol. Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hello, my name is Charlie. I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I wanted to thank Greg for his Desert Island jukebox selection on the March 31st show. It was the Pixies' Where Is My Mind. 
I'm a hired father of a four and a half month old son who uh, does not like to sleep. And I was driving to work in the pitch dark and I had a feeling he was going to pick that song. And it was just like, as soon as it came on, like, God, this is me. This is my life right now. Where is my mind? So it, it perked me up a little bit. Thank you very much, Greg. Yeah, hi, this is Todd Hayward calling from Chicago. I just wanted to comment on the segment that you that uh, you guys played on this fear. It's just a, a shining example of why I love your guys' show. Little gems like this pop up that just make my day. Personally, I'm a really old-school Discharge fan from 1982. So when you were talking about the D-beat and what was going on with that, I knew exactly what you were talking about. Thanks for taking my comments. Yes, my name is Mark Gale from Rome, New York, and I'm calling about this uh, Swedish uh, band, and you keep talking about how wonderful they sound. I think that is the most obnoxious music. I don't understand why anybody would want to hear it. I obviously believe that these people that play this type of music have a lot of issues emotionally and mentally, because anybody who wants to just sit there and play loud music and scream is trying to vent in some way, and the people listening to them, God bless you, because they suck. My name is Barbara Jamway in Carborough, North Carolina, and I want to say how much I enjoyed Sound Opinion's discussion about this beer, Swedish metal. I am 57 years old. <laughs> I'm an ex-hippie. I've never even liked metal, and I loved your review about this beer, and I loved the cut that you played. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, this is Mike in Oakland, California. Boy, did I feel like a big dummy. I heard that Tim Fight was going to be on the show, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, that's that hip-hop guy, whatever. And then uh, they started playing, and it sounded like Nickel Creek or something, and I was like, huh? And then there's vocal harmony, like really nice vocal harmony, and I turned it up really loud. And uh, that's something, there's like a radio head break. And then back to the uh, vocal harmony harmony in the Nickel Creek thing, and then busts out in hard rock, and that, that finale gave me goosebumps. So if uh, Tim Fight never wants to hear anybody talking about Shaniqua again, more power to him, let's not bother him with that. The guy's making some serious music. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.